The Quran is incredible literature, incredible literature from many, many different angles. You could study the subject from many different points of view. Actually, I'm working on a seminar that's launching in February dedicated to each angle, each perspective from which we can study and appreciate the, the, the eloquence and the precision and beauty of the Quran. I'm only going to present probably three dimensions to you today of the 20 or so that I've compiled thus far. At least three dimensions what I'll try to present to you today, inshallah. And the first of them is precision in word choice or accurate word choice. When you and I speak, we sort of we put words together but we don't necessarily give too much thought to each and every word we say. The central you know, focus when we communicate isn't the words, it's the actual idea. When you sit down and write something though, then what do you do? You write something and you say, no, I want to edit it, I want to say it better. And you go back and you change a word or two, or you reorganize your sentence, right? So writing is way more careful than what? Than speaking. Speaking is spontaneous, it's on the spot, there's no time to edit your words, it just comes out. But writing is very thought, well thought out. Because there's an editorial process. Now, we already said that the disbeliever says that the Qur'an is the speech of Muhammad. While the believer knows that it's the speech of Allah. The speech of a human being is not necessarily calculated down to the word. It's not calculated down to the word. But the speech of Allah is perfect. Because it comes from a source that is perfect. And that is illustrated with hundreds of thousands of examples in the Qur'an. This is a subject in and of itself. Precision of words in the Qur'an. It's a subject in and of itself. I'll give you some very brief examples. Shu'aib alayhi salam. You know he's a messenger, right? Okay. Now as a messenger alayhi salam, he is mentioned numerous times in the Qur'an. Allah Azza wa Jal says to us, وَإِلَىٰ مَدْيَنَا أَخَاهُمْ شُعَيْبًا to Madian, we sent their brother, Shu'aib. We sent their brother, Shu'aib. Now, what I want to tell you is, what, what is the name of the nation to which he belonged? Madian. Now, Madian is the name of two things at the same time. You got to remember this, okay? Madian is two things. Madian is the name of a place, and it's the name of a people. The people are called Madian, and the place is also called Madian. And Allah says, to Madian, we sent their brother, Shu'aib. In Surah Al-Shu'ara, Surah, Surah number 26, Allah Azza wa Jal gives us the stories of different prophets. He says, إِذْ قَالَ لَهُمْ أَخُوهُمْ لُوطٌ إِذْ قَالَ لَهُمْ أَخُوهُمْ صَالِحٌ إِذْ قَالَ لَهُمْ أَخُوهُمْ هُودٌ إِذْ قَالَ لَهُمْ أَخُوهُمْ نُوحٌ When their brother Nuh said to them, when their brother Nuh said to them, said to his nation, the next story goes to another prophet. When their brother Salih said to them, to his own nation. Then it goes to Hud. When their brother Hud said to them. Then when their brother uh, Salih, Nuh, Hud, and Lut, four of them. Their brother, their brother, their brother, their brother. The fifth one mentioned is Shu'aib. Allah says when Shu'aib said to them. He just says, إِذْ قَالَ لَهُمْ شُعَيْبٌ When Shu'aib says to them. With all the other prophets in that very surah, what did he say? Their brother Nuh, their brother Salih, their brother Lut, their brother Hud. But when he came to Shu'aib, he said, 
Shaib, no brother. What's really interesting is other places in the Quran, Allah says, وَإِلَىٰ مَدْيَنَا Like I told you, وَإِلَىٰ مَدْيَنَا أَخَاهُمْ شُعَيْبًا To Madian, especially, we sent their brother, Shu'ayb. In the surah in which everybody was declared the brother of their nation, you would expect that when Shu'ayb's turn comes, what are you going to see? Their brother. But the word brother is taken out. It's the only one that's been taken out. Everybody else retained. And what we find that's really interesting is right before, remember the nation to which he was sent, what was their name? Madian. They have another name called Ashabul Aika. It's a longer name. Ashabul Aika means the people of Al Aika. Aika was a giant tree that they used to worship. The name of that tree was Aika. So they were known by their religious name too. Their religious identity was the people of Aika. The fact that he was born in Madian, that he belonged to the city of Madian, that his race was a Midian race, right? One of the Arabs. Because of that, by race and by region, he is their brother. So Allah says to Madian, we sent their brother, Shu'ib. But when it comes, when Allah mentions them, not as the people of Madian, but the people of what? Al-Aika, that tree. Allah is speaking to them with their religious identity. And when it comes to their religion, is he their brother? No. So when Allah mentions their religion, he says when Shu'ib said to them, no brother. By removing the brother from that context in particular, what has been highlighted? What's been highlighted is, there is no brotherhood when it comes to conflict in deen. That's, that goes away. It's very, very profound, precise usage. Because what we are told to expect, case after case after case in Surah Shu'ara is, Akhahum, Akhuhum, 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 and all of a sudden the omission of Akhuhum. Precision. And you could see why that precision took place. This is the first small example. Let's look at another example. You know that both the names you see on the screen, Yathrib and Medina. Are they names of the same city? Sure. The Quran speaks about the city of Medina with the word Medina many times. At least four citations I've put on the screen for you. But it only uses Yathrib once. Yathrib is used only in Surah Al-Ahzab, that's it. There's no other place where Yathrib is used in the Quran. By the way, both are names of Medina. So you could argue from the devil's advocate point of view, hey, they mean the same thing, right? So why don't I just change Yathrib to what? Medina, or why don't I change Medina to Yathrib? You guys keep talking about Quran is perfect, intricate word choice. You guys know too that Yathrib and Medina is the same thing. So why not put one in the other's place? What's the big deal? What difference does it make? This is a study more so of history. Before the Prophet arrived وسلم, in Medina, what was its name? Yathrib. After he came to the city, he was unanimously declared the leader of that city, and the city was coined Madinatun Nabi, the city of the Prophet. For short, the city. Medina is short for what? The city of the Prophet. Because literally, Medina means what? The city. So Medina's nickname is Medina actually, that's the nickname. The actual name is Yathrib. Or you could think of it like this. Before the Prophet came, it was Yathrib. After he came, it is Medina. But what's interesting is Surah Al-Ahzab, Surah number 33, actually uses Medina and uses Yathrib, same Surah. And what's, really, what's interesting on top of that is Surah Al-Ahzab is a Madani Surah. 
What do you know about Madani Surahs? Where was the Prophet in Madani Surahs? He was in Medina. So already the city should have been called what? Medina, but we see the word Yathrib. You see the riddle here? Right? Now here's the thing. Medina was short for Medina to Nabi, city of the Prophet. When Medina was surrounded by enemy forces, some Jewish tribes got together, they came and they convinced the Quraysh to come back and rally after the loss of Uhud. They went around and made alliances with smaller tribes and turned it into a massive army that surrounded the entire city of Medina. The city of Medina was being held hostage for weeks on end. This scary situation was even worsened because people on the inside, there were people on the inside that were Muslims, but some of them were only Muslim by name and actually there weren't, wasn't really Iman in their hearts. What's that group called? The Munafiqun, the hypocrites, right? Now, these, some of these hypocrites, before the Prophet came وسلم, they were the leaders of what city? They were the leaders of Yathrib. When the Prophet came, they had to give up their positions. They had to give up their leadership because now who's the leader? By default, Muhammad When they were surrounded, they saw it as an opportunity to rally the forces and say, look what, he, what his leadership got us into. Right? So they say, وَقَالُوا يَا أَهْلَ يَثْرِبْ لَا مُقَامَ لَكُمْ They said, O oh people of Yathrib, there's no place left for you. فَرْجِعُوا Let's go back. Go back to what? Let's go back to making it Yathrib again. Let's go back to the way things were before the Prophet ﷺ had leadership. By using the word Yathrib, you know what they exposed? Their true allegiance. Because if they acknowledged the Messenger as their leader وسلم, what word would they have used? Medina. So just by using that word, Allah caught their word, you know, exposed it in the Qur'an, and what we learn from that is their allegiances, their, their aspirations were, oh, one day it'll be back to Yathrib again. It won't be Medina anymore. This becomes even more evident, more clear, clearer, when we go to other places. Surah Al-Munafiqun, the surah dedicated to who? The hypocrites. Now the surah dedicated to the hypocrites is interesting. It begins with the, the hypocrites going out of their way to show allegiance to the Messenger They go out of their way to show allegiance to Rasulullah When the hypocrites come to you, whenever they come to you, they say, Oh, we bear witness. No doubt you are certainly the Messenger of Allah. Now the Muslim doesn't have to say that to the messenger every time. Only when he converts. Right? When he accepts it, then he says it. Otherwise he knows he's the messenger of Allah. But if you're trying to compensate for something you're feeling on the inside, like a child who says, I didn't do it by the way. And you say, what did you not do? <laughs> right? This is the guilty conscience that speaks. It's the guilty conscience that makes them say, we really believe you're the messenger of Allah. And in that surah, to show their allegiance on the outside, they said, لَإِرَّجَعْنَا إِلَى Right? They, they said when we return to Medina because they were trying to show their allegiance. But when it came to desperate times in Surah Al-Ahzab, the wrong word came out of their mouth. <laughs> and their true allegiances were exposed. Another interesting comparison, Mecca and Bakka. Have you heard these two names of Mecca before? They both occur once in the Quran. Once in the Quran in Surah Muhammad, in Surah Muhammad Allah Azza wa Jal uses the word Mecca. Another time he uses the word 
Bakka. Now, historically speaking, they are both names of the same city, Mecca. Some have argued that Bakka was the first name and Mecca is the later name. More accurately though, linguists have argued that Mecca is the name and Bakka is the nickname. Mecca is the name and Bakka is the nickname. It comes from Bakk, which is an Arabic verb. It means to be crowded. It means to have lots of crowd and you know, congestion of traffic. Okay? And is the ham in modern Arabic we use. Okay? Now, when Bakka is used in Surah Ali Imran with Abba, originating from the word crowd, the very few ayat that follow are ayat of Hajj. Walillahi ala nasi hijjul bayt. What comes with Hajj? Crowd. So, what's the better word in that context? Bakka. But when there's no mention of Hajj in Surah Muhammad, you go back to normal and what word do you use? Mecca. Subhanallah. Even this small detail, you and I would say Mecca, Mecca, same thing. Interchangeable. They're the same word. But the level of precision in the Quran's words is unparalleled. Human beings can't think at that level when they speak. They can't think at that level. We're not at that level of accuracy. So one thing we learned from Quran is how careful we need to be with our tongues. Right? This is the sunnah of Allah Azza wa Jal. He speaks in very, very, very precise, even to the minutest detail. Another interesting comparison, we go back to Surah Al-Ahzab. This you may have heard before. مَا جَعَلَ اللَّهُ لِرَجُلٍ مِنْ قَلْبَيْنِ فِي جَوْفِهِ In the fourth ayah, Allah says, Allah did not put two hearts inside of any man whatsoever. Huh. But now listen carefully. وَمَا جَعَلَ أَزْوَاجُكُمْ You know what azwaj means? Spouses. Spouses. And Allah is speaking to men from the beginning of the ayah, so it means wives. Because the beginning of the ayah is talking to men, spouses here means wives. Wives are women. You know what ummahat means? Mothers. Women, right? The rest of the ayah is dealing with women. But the beginning of the ayah, Allah says, Allah did not put two hearts inside of any man. The ayah has men and women both in it. So I would guess we could say Allah did not put two hearts inside of any human being. Because if you say human being, who does it include? Men and women, both. But if you say man, it only includes men. This is so because the Quran is literal, literally accurate and figuratively accurate. Of course, when Allah says Allah didn't put two hearts inside of any man, He's not being literal. The idea is two intentions at the same time. Iman and kufr at the same time. Right? Iman and nifaq at the same time. Hypocrisy and faith can't coexist. One or the other. Faith or belief or disbelief, they can't coexist, one or the other. Certainty and doubt can't coexist, one or the other. So the figurative expression is, Allah did not put two hearts inside of any man. But if you take it literally, is it true literally too? Right. But for women, they can get pregnant. And when they get pregnant, how many hearts can be inside them? Subhanallah. You could have argued literally, hey, hey, what about women? They might have two hearts at some point. But even that criticism from the liter literary, you know, literal point of view isn't even possible. مَا جَعَلَ اللَّهُ لِرَجُلٍ مِنْ قَلْبَيْنِ فِي جَوْفِي Subhanallah. <laughs> okay. Another one. I'm, I didn't put Arabic on the screen on purpose because I don't want you to think that you can appreciate the subject only by Arabic. I really want to water this down. 
to English, inshaAllah ta'ala, as much as possible. Allah speaks about tranquility often. The Arabic word for tranquility is as-sakina. As-sakina. Allah Azza wa Jal says, هُوَ الَّذِي أَنزَلَ السَّكِينَةَ فِي He is the one who sent tranquility into the hearts of the believers. He sent it into the hearts of the believers. But then several times in Surah Al-Fatih and Surah Al-Tawbah also, فَأَنزَلَ سَكِينَتَهُ عَلَى رَسُولِهِ وَعَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ هُوَ الَّذِي أَنزَلَ Actually, فَعَلِمَ مَا فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ فَأَنزَلَ السَّكِينَةَ عَلَيْهِمْ عَلَيْهِمْ He sent tranquility upon them. In one place he says in the same surah, he sent tranquility inside their hearts. In another he says he sent tranquility upon them. Now, tranquility inside your hearts, tranquility upon you, it's the same idea essentially, but not close enough. This, is, this would be undermining the precision of the Qur'an. You see, the hearts, basically in the Qur'an, Allah speaks of two negative sentiments. There are many, but two central negative sentiments in the hearts. لَا خَوْفٌ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا هُمْ There's fear in the heart, and there's grief in the heart. Of the negative emotions that you have, negative emotions that you have, they stem from one of two things. Either they stem from fear, or they stem from grief. These are the two main negative. Anger can result from grief, and, and go get worse, right? And fear leads to many other diseases, like hypocrisy can be, can be a source, uh, or the source of it can be fear. So now these two feelings are in Arabic literature, in poetry even before Islam, the, the anger is described as something that rages inside your heart. And it's something that doesn't go away, it stays. Like if you're mad at your friend for saying something to you, you're not just mad at them at that time when they said it to you, you're mad at them every time you see their face. It's in your heart. It didn't just overcome you at that time, it got installed. So you have to uninstall. Which means you have to go where? Inside the heart. The beginning of Surah Al-Fatih. The Muslims have traveled all the way from Medina to go make Hajj. Did they get to make Hajj at Hudaybiyah? No. So what's in the hearts? Anger, frustration. We came all this way. If you study the seerah, you'll find a lot of frustration on the, even the tongues of the believers. Right? So where was the tranquility needed? Inside the hearts. Inside the hearts. But fear, and even in Arabic imagery we find this in shi'r, fear is something felt on the skin. Fear is something felt in your entire body, it shivers. Fear is something that overwhelms, it comes over your heart. Instead of in your heart, it is over your heart, and it doesn't linger. When it's inside your heart, it doesn't get out until you go in and get it out. But when it's over your heart, as soon as the scary situation's over, what happens? You're back to normal. Your kids are playing around, there's almost, all, all of a sudden there's thunder. Kids get scared. Thunder's over, they get back to playing again. Right? That's how we are. You hear something scary or you're in a scary situation, as soon as that situation is over, you're back to normal. The fear doesn't come back necessarily. But with anger, you don't have to be, you don't, somebody doesn't have to upset you for you to be, get angry again. It's the old anger that can come back for no other reason. You understand? So now since the anger or the fear overcomes you, what has to overcome you to counter it? Tranquility. So Allah, in, this, in the situations wherever Sakina is mentioned with ala, tranquility sent down upon, like when the Messenger was in the cave, 
with Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu, and the, the investigators were looking for them, trying to find them and kill them, this was a situation of anger or fear? This was a situation of fear. So Allah sent tranquility upon them. Alayhim. When the kuffar at the end of Surah Al-Fatih, you know, they had gotten together, Hamiyat al-Jahiliyyah, they got together in this gang mentality to gang up against the Muslims and go fight them. This was an intimidating situation because the Muslims were barely armed. Allah sent tranquility upon them. When Allah Azza wa Jal promised that they will enter the city of Mecca peacefully, لَتَدْخُلُنَّ الْمَشْرِدَ الْحَرَامِ إِنْشَاءَ اللَّهُ آمِنِينَ You will enter it peacefully. Because if you enter it peacefully, and by the way, لَا تَخَافُونَ You're not going to be afraid of anything. Denying the fear. And in that situation, He sent tranquility upon them. Upon them. So there's tranquility inside, and there's tranquility upon. If you just read it casually, you'll say, hey, it's the same thing. But if you appreciate the profound accuracy of words, down to the preposition from in to upon, that's just prepositions. Even that is incredibly accurate. This is one of my favorites. The next one. ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ How does the ayah go? لَا رَيْبَ Many people know that ayah, right? Now, what does ذَلِكَ mean? Anybody know? That. ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ That book. That book. Now, when I say this, as opposed to saying that, which one is closer? Is this book closer or that book closer? This book is closer. This book is closer. That book is far away. Because that, a pointing word, ذَلِكَ is for distance. But when something is closer, you don't say that, you say this. What's interesting in the Qur'an is, you find most, we find that book, but for the most part, multiple, multiple, multiple instances of not saying that Qur'an, but this Qur'an, هذا Qur'an. This Qur'an. So when Allah uses book, of course He's talking about the Qur'an, right? But He puts it far away. When He talks about Qur'an, what does He do? Close. We'll come to the third one last, but at least for now the comparison of the top two, that book versus this Qur'an. You see, the word book in Arabic is kitab. The origin of which is kataba yaktubu, to write. It comes from to write. The actual meaning of kitab is that which is documented, that which is etched or written. Now, where is the Qur'an written? Where is it written? Was it already written when it was being revealed? Huh? No, 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 no. In its complete form, was it already in existence with who? So the actual book is where? Near or far? So it's appropriate to say that book because that's where it's written. The word book in Arabic has to do with writing. Now the word Qur'an comes from qara'a yaqra'u. One of the origins of Qur'an is qara'a yaqra'u, to recite, to read. Where is the reading taking place? Over here. So what's more appropriate? This recital. Subhanallah. And then in one instance Allah says, هَذَا kitabun." This is a book. So you say, aha, the theory is broken. Because now book is being used with what word? This. Close. But he adds, هَذَا kitabun." Anzalnahu. We sent it down. This is a book that we sent down. So even when he used this, he added, it didn't come from here, it's from there. Because the implied, you know, what can be alluded when you say this, is that the origin is here. You can, you can, you know, you know, you can stretch the meaning further and say, oh, you said this book, meaning you wrote it here somewhere. 
So now Allah Azza wa prevents that possible thought from even occurring by saying that book, that book versus this Qur'an, Hadal Qur'an. We don't see that Qur'an, we see this Qur'an in the book, subhanAllah. Another uh, uh, stellar example, inshaAllah ta'ala, the two ayat are Baqarah and uh, Surah Ibrahim. This is the dua of Ibrahim alayhi salam. In Surah Al-Baqarah. My Lord, make this a peaceful city. My Lord, make this a peaceful city. Lord, make this city peaceful. Now the English is very similar to the Arabic here as far as the meaning. Make this a peaceful city versus what? Make this city peaceful. You would think it's the same dua almost. Even in the Arabic, there's a difference just of an alif lam. Hadha baladan aminan and hadha balada aminan. Small difference. But actually, before Mecca was a city, because the city is what? Mecca, right? Everybody knows that? Before Mecca was a city, he made a dua to turn it into a city and to turn it into a peaceful city. So the first dua, Rabbij'al hadha baladan aminan is when he had not even seen the city turn into a city yet. And the dua was to turn it into a city that happens to be peaceful. When he came back السلام, to the city, and it was already a city, he modified his dua and said what? Make this city, which already exists, make it peaceful, safe. SubhanAllah. It's very precise, very precise wording. Now on top of this, I want to share with you what is the further component? What are the further components of this dua? Make this a peaceful city. What are the requirements of peace in a city? What are the, is, is peace the only thing you look for in a city? No, if there are no jobs, you can't stay there. If you can't make any money and there's lots of police protection, the society is going to fall apart anyway because people can't survive. So in the first dua, he made a complete dua for a establishment of a healthy, sustainable city. He said, رَبِّ جَعَلْ هَذَا بَلَدًا آمِنًا وَارْزُقْ أَهْلَهُ مِنَ الثَّمَرَاتِ Provide its citizens from all kinds of fruit. Make sure that they're taken care of, they have provisions. So he made dua for the peace of a city and the prosperity of that city. You know the English expression, peace and prosperity? Right? In political science 101, you're gonna learn that if you have peace and no prosperity, the society falls. And if you have prosperity and no peace, the society falls. What do you need for a society to sustain itself? Peace and prosperity. This is why at the end of Quran you find Surat Quraysh, Li'ilafi Quraysh, right? That's a surah about the prosperity of the city. Then we have Alam Tara Kaifa Fa'ala Rabbuka Bi Ashabil Fil. Surat Al Fil is about what? The, the prosperity of the city or the safety of the city? The safety of the city. They go hand in hand. One surah dedicated to its prosperity, the other dedicated to its peace. You need both these things. So when he made dua that his city come into being, he made dua of these two things. Man amana minhum billahi wal akhir. Whoever believes in Allah in the last day, provide them with all kinds of fruits. I won't go further into his dua there. But if you come to the bottom one, was it already a city now? Yeah, it was already being provided for. That was taken care of. He didn't want to ask for that again because it was already there. So he asked for something else. Protect me and my children, prevent us that we may end up falling into the worship of idols. 
prevent us from falling into the worship of idols. Because now when a city is peaceful and it's safe, necessarily what might happen is corruption. When life is good, you tend to party. And the worst kind of partying that shaitan will get you into is what? Shirk. Shirk. He's, he sees this, the farsightedness of Ibrahim salam. So when he came back to the city, his dua was, don't let this be a place of idol worship. Prevent me and my children from worshipping idols. Subhanallah. Alayhi salam, the genius of that man. The next case. The Arabic word imra'a. Imra'a. In isolation, it means woman. But as a mudaf, and those of you that know Arabic know what a mudaf is, those of you that don't, uh, shame on you. No, I'm kidding. Uh, learn Arabic, inshallah, it's easy. Yes, before, very good. Somebody was paying attention in my class. So, the mudaf, when it curses mudaf, it means wife. Wife. Imra'a. Another word for wife that's used in the Quran is actually more appropriate for spouse, zawj. Zawj. Both words are used. Now we find Imra'ata Nuhin, the wife of Nuh. Imra'ata Lutin, the wife of who? Lut. Wamra'atuhu Hamalata al Hatab. What do you think? Who, whose wife is that? Abu Lahab, you guys know that, right? Tabat Yada Abi Lahabin, Watab. In that surah we find Wamra'atuhu, his wife. His wife. So, so far we have the wife of Nuh. Good woman or bad woman? She's not good, no. It's a pretty bad lady. Wife of Lut, bad. Wife of Abu Lahab, terrible, yeah, pretty bad. Then, Imra'atuhu for Imra'at Zakariya. Allah Azza wa Jal sends an angel to Zakariya, says, You're gonna have a son, and he says, Anna yakunu li walad, wa kanat imra'ati, anna yakunu li gulam, wa kanat imra'ati, aqiran, imra'ati. His wife, good or bad? Great. Imra'ah is used for women that aren't very good and also used for women that are good. So we can't say that Imra'ah is used only for bad women. By the way, Imra'at al-Aziz, the wife of the minister, the minister in Surah Yusuf. Hmm? Good lady, bad lady? Bad person. The wife of Fir'aun, Imra'at al-Fir'aun, one of the best. So we can't decisively say that when Imra'ah is used, it's only used for bad people. Or we can't say the other way that it's only used for Good people either, right? But then what, what I want to share with you is the word zawj or zawaj, it comes from zawaj, pairing. Literally, the word means pairing. What's the purpose of a pair? A pair is two parts of one thing that go together to make something greater. The, the night and the day are paired and together they make the whole day, right? The sun and the moon are paired, right? They're pairs. Now, similarly, man and woman are also a pair. What is the purpose of the pairing of a man and a woman? What's the purpose? There are two functions mainly. The first function is the, the excess, the increase of good in a society. When people get married, two people get married, two less people prone to fitna at the next convention. Right? So, <laughs> I'm kidding. Not you, not you. So two less people prone to fitna. Two more families coming together. It's necessarily whenever two people get married, it is an increase of goodness and a reduction in evil. But that goodness can only happen when the husband and wife get along. 
and they're both, the goals together are for goodness, right? The second purpose of marriage is human beings won't survive unless we have children. There are only two ways to have children, the legitimate way or the illegitimate way. So the second function of marriage is obviously what? The legitimate, the appropriate way of having children. So two functions of marriage, goodness and children. This is the basic, basic functionality of marriage. If any of these are missing, they're not called a pair in the Quran. Zawj is not used. If either of these are missing, Zawj is not used. Let's go revisit these words. The wife of Nuh, was something missing? No good was coming out of that marriage. The wife of Lut, was something missing? Goodness. The, the wife of Abu Lahab, two negatives don't make a positive. Right? So, <laughs> this is a pretty bad relationship. Even though they were very compatible. Okay? Now, the wife of Zakaria, angel comes and says, you're gonna have a boy. She says, I can't. What's missing? Children are missing. Imra'ah. The wife of Ibrahim, before the child came. Before the child came, his wife heard it, the news of a boy, and she started laughing. Right? So before the child, Imra'ah. Then we find the wife of the minister, Imra'ah. The wife of Fir'aun, great lady, what's missing? Goodness in the marriage. Compatibility between the husband and wife. And of course children, the issue of children too. Now, all of this, having said all of this, by the way, the Prophet's wives, our mothers, radiallahu anhunna, all of them together are called azwaj. Because we don't separate them. We look at all of them as one. So what's the appropriate term for them? Zawj. Okay, Zawj or Zawaj. Now, the interesting case happens with Zakaria alayhi salam. Did Zakaria, you know what happens? Allah Azza wa granted him a son. What's his son's name? Yahya alayhi salam. Allah says, وَوَهَبْنَا لَهُ Yahya. We granted him Yahya. وَأَصْلَحْنَا لَهُ زَوْجَهُ And we reconcile for him his Zawj. Before the child, Allah mentions his wife as what? Imra'ah. As soon as the ayah mentions that he had a child, the word for his wife used was Zawj, because that which was missing is not missing anymore. Subhanallah. This is going to get a little heavy. I warn you. Andartukum. Okay. You know, there are many surahs in the Quran that have oaths. Allah swears by different things, right? And the example I decided to share with you today has to do with Surah Al-Mursalat, Surah number 77. Traditionally, it has been held that the oath that Allah swears by something because it's very important. Wattini, wazaytuni, waturi sinina, washamsi, waduhaha, walasri, wasubhi, walfajri, walayli, walayalin ashrin, walfajri. Right? All of these are oaths in the Quran. Allah swears by different things. One of the views that has been held is that it, Allah swears by these things because in and of themselves they are powerful and sacred or important. But that's not all. Allah swears by different things to allude or to present an argument that is about to come. So if the beginning of a surah has oaths, it is leading to a conclusion which is called jawabul qasim. The response to these oaths. The oaths are there to set, set a certain mindset, prepare you for an argument that is coming. Okay? With that in mind, I want to share with you some oaths, some really powerful literary oaths in the beginning of Surah Al-Mursalat. 
By the way, Surah Al-Mursalat belongs to a handful of surahs in the Quran in which there is a lot of repetition. There's a lot of repetition. Okay? This is one of those surahs in which there's a lot of repetition. One of them is Surah Al-Rahman, very famous. is a repetition in Surah Al-Mursalat. Another surah with a lot of repetition is Surah Al-Shu'ara. Okay? These are a few handful of surahs in which there's a lot of repetition. Now, the purpose of that repetition is the discussion for another day, inshallah, because it has a profound function. Today we're dealing with the oaths themselves. You see, the Quraysh had argued, you keep talking about the sun and the moon colliding, about the, the mountains are gonna move swiftly like, like, you know, like they're made of wool, and they're gonna move like that, people are gonna be looking drunk, the oceans are gonna boil over, these big things, this is not gonna happen. All this, when is it gonna come? All these big things you talk about, we've never seen anything like that. So they were basically arguing that the challenges and the threats of the Qur'an are too cataclysmic. They are too enormous to be possible. In response to that, Allah Azza wa takes an oath in these few ayat, by majority opinion of the Mufassirun and from the language it is supported, by winds. Allah swears in the beginning of Surah Al-Mursalat, by, by the creation of Allah, winds. Al-Mursal, Al-Mursala is used actually in Arabic for that which has been released. It was used for horses. You are, you, you know, the, the word Urf, which is, well, Mursalati Urfa is the ayah. Urf in Arabic is the back, you know, the, the horse on the back of its head, its neck, there's this hair. And if you don't have ropes for a horse, what's the only thing you can grab onto to slow it down? It's that hair. Allah Azza wa gives the image of winds as though they are like a horse, a wild horse who has been unleashed because its hair has been let go. What happens to a horse, a wild horse when you let go of its hair? It goes crazy, marches forward, doesn't care where it's going, full speed ahead. So the, what's being paralleled is the image of a, a wild horse with winds. Meaning winds that Allah is telling the Quraysh first of all that winds are not something that blow randomly this way or that way, this soft breeze you feel on your face, is because the reins are being held. By who? By Allah Azza wa But it is very possible for that same Lord to let go of that lock of hair, and what's gonna happen? They're going to turn into this wild horse, this stallion, that's gonna breeze through, crush through. وَالْمُرْسَلَاتِ urfa, The first one, the wild horse that has been released, like, like, released the winds. The second, فَالْعَاصِفَاتِ Asf in Arabic is to move in an inconsiderate fashion. What I mean by that is if I run into this thing and I don't even care it's here and I keep running over it and trample over it, I don't care what's in my way, I keep going. Okay? Like a truck that doesn't have brakes. Just crushes everything in its path, a bulldozer nowadays. What the movement of the bulldozer is asf, inconsiderate, doesn't care what's in its way. It's gonna go anyway. وَالْعَاصِفَاتِ Asfa. These winds, Allah continues the oath. These same winds that have been un unleashed, now they've become inconsiderate, merciless. They don't care what comes in the way, they just go. In two ayat, Allah has described winds as a source of destruction. If you guys have ever seen video footage of what happened after Ike, or what happens after a hurricane, or after a tornado, after 40 seconds that it hits a town, 40 seconds, you see what happens to those homes? Right? Allah Azza wa sent winds upon a nation, Seven consecutive days. 
Seven consecutive days, winds have been unleashed upon them. سَخَّرَ عَلَيْهِمْ سَبْعَ لَيَالٍ Seven nights. وَثَمَانِيَةَ أَيَّامٍ حُصُومًا Subhanallah. Seven and eight. Seven days, eight nights. Seven nights, eight days rather. Continuously, continuously pounding them. What does 40 seconds do? I saw, you know, after Galveston, after the, the Hurricane Ike, I saw some footage and I was there a few weeks ago. You know how they have those railings on the beach? Those metal railings are this thick. They were twisted around like noodles. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Subhanallah. Now the, the winds, which is not some major cataclysmic sun and moon coming together. There's no special event that has to be prepared. You know when you make special arrangements for a mass weapon of destruction? What is Allah using to destroy these people? The wind. Allah doesn't need to make, in two ayat He's told the Quraysh, there needs to be no special arrangement made for you guys. All He has to do is release the, the lock on the winds. That's all He has to do. And then he turns around and he goes the other, gives you the other dimension of winds. Winds can be a source of death, yes. But they are actually also a source of mercy. Allah Azza wa continues the next two oaths, وَالنَّاشِرَاتِ nashra. And the winds that, that serve to spread all over, they spread. Nashr literally means you take a bunch of seeds, you throw them on the ground. What happens to the seeds? They spread in random directions, right? So Allah speaks about the winds that carry and disperse. What the ulama of tafsir have concluded from this is that the winds carry and disperse the clouds. Because the clouds, wherever they go, what's going to fall? Rain. And rain is the source of life on this earth. No rain, no life. Drought means death. So the winds that were the source of death in two first, the first two oaths are now beginning to be the source of what? of life. And now we know even better. Now we know winds don't just carry the, wind, the, the clouds around. What else do they carry with them? The pollen. The source of vegetation. Pollen travels from one place to the other by means of winds. Right? Those of you that have bad allergies know that pretty well. It's actually a mercy of Allah. Right? Which is why we're reminded to say Alhamdulillah. Right? <laughs> Subhanallah. Anyway, وَالنَّاشِرَاتِ نَشْرَى Allah Azza wa Jal spreads these, these clouds out. Now when you think of spreads, clouds spreading or pollen falling, you would think that this is random. You would think that this division of the clouds is going that way, not this way, or the drop fell here, not there. This is random. They call it the random acts of mother nature. We know there's no such thing. These are precise, calculated acts of who? Of Allah Azza wa Jal. So he says, فَالْفَارِقَاتِ farqa. Those who make very precise divisions. It's going to fall here, not here. This land will remain dry, this land will get water. Two things have been given to us so far. These winds, they bring about rain, they bring about life, and also they bring about what? Death. Both things. Then Allah Azza wa says after this, They bring people into contact with reminder. These winds bring people into contact with reminder. Just a few reminders that I want to share with you that these winds bring about, if you reflect upon them. Winds are making, they're causing a cooperation between the heavens and the earth. The clouds are moving in the heavens, and the rain is falling on the earth. All of it to serve who? Serve us, serve the human being. Allah is showing just by means of the winds, that He has given, it's a single leadership, it's a single chain of command. It only comes from Allah, they're not under separate leaderships. It shows the purpose of creation, one of the great reminders of the ayat, the purpose of creation. How everything comes and cooperates with everything else. All as a favor to me. Right? Reminds you of your own purpose. If Allah has created all of these things with such purpose, then I, for which, 
for which who is this? This thing has been created. Khalaqalakum, He created for you. I must have a purpose too. So even wind reminds me of my purpose in life. It's a profound reminder. And then the second reminder that the winds carry, you know, I give you an example. If you left your pet in the house without giving them water, you forgot. You come back after the whole day. Your pet is at whose mercy? At your mercy. Until you take a little plate or, you know, a little, uh, you know, a drop of water and drop it in their tongue, they're begging for it. Whether that animal scratches you or damages your property or listens to you, doesn't listen to you, in the end they submit to who? To you. As wild as they can get. As wild and rebellious as human beings can get. If Allah does not give us these sips of water to drink, where do we go? There's nowhere else. We are we're more pathetic than the pets we think we own. We are more powerless before Allah. It is a reminder of the Lordship of Allah that He's letting you drink these sips. This water is not your product. You can walk about arrogantly on the earth, but if He doesn't send that mercy from the sky, where are you going to be? It's the Lordship of Allah. The winds are reminding you of Allah's Lordship over you and me. And the second powerful reminder, so these winds deliver a reminder. The winds are a reminder of resurrection. These winds come, water comes from the sky, the earth is dead, and what happens to the earth? Comes back to life. Dead becomes living. Because and now every time the rains bring life to the earth, we are reminded that we will also die and we will also be in this earth. And just like the earth is giving out vegetation, it will be giving out human beings on the day of resurrection. It's a reminder of resurrection. All of that reminder starts where? If you just reflect on what? The wind. Subhanallah. Falmulqiyati dhikra. And then finally, we said the wind does two things. It comes as a source of destruction or as a source of mercy, which reminds us that Allah has in place a profound system of punishment and of reward. Something that begets His wrath and other things, things that beget His mercy. So we are reminded not to cross certain lines and to pursue certain other things in life. We are reminded of Allah's justice. We are reminded of Allah's commandments just by the winds. And now that Allah has sent these winds and asked you to think about them in this way, and the Arab would process this, he would hear these words, and he would process them immediately. The last few ayat that I want to share with you, Udran aw nudra. Udran aw nudra. People, all of us will feel the wind on our face. There'll be two kinds of people. People that will take the reminder and now they are warned, right? What's the other kind of person? Nothing. Nothing, they just pass out, nice breeze. Right? So for the people who took the warning, the, me, the winds served as a warner. Nudra. And for the people who didn't care, now the wind is an excuse to punish them. Allah sent them a reminder and they ignored it. Now that wind has become an excuse, a means by which they should be punished. Udr. A, a reason, a cause, an excuse that, that is now in creation that is witness against them. May Allah protect us from that. Udran aw nudra. And after all these oaths, these are the oaths, these are setting the stage, this is not even the argument yet. This is just preparing you for the argument. What's the actual point? What you have been promised is no doubt going to become certainty. It is going to happen. You have been promised something, it is bound to occur. Either just like these winds that deliver Allah's mercy or Allah's wrath, you will be the recipient one day of Allah's extreme mercy or Allah's extreme wrath, it is bound to happen. 
oaths in the Qur'an are a profound literary masterpiece in and of themselves. Each one of them, the surahs that begin with oaths, demand special, special study, just in and of themselves, right? And they're not all structured in the same way. It's an intricate study that a lot of our ulama went into. Dialogue in the Qur'an. I'm gonna sound a little blasphemous to you guys, I'm sorry. It's just a thing with being a teacher. You do whatever you can to get the point across. Okay, I'm, I'm not much of a speaker, I'm more, I try to turn more into a teacher or a tutor. Anybody here ever see Finding Nemo? Okay, if you haven't seen it, go see it. It's a great movie, no bad language, and there's only one bad thing in it. The Nemo says, I hate you to his dad at one line, and pays for it the whole movie. So that's, that's good. <laughs> Other than that, yeah, usually even ch children's films have filth in them. So, yeah, so... But anyway, it's a decent, decent movie. Anyway, the reason I brought it up, and it's gonna tie into what I'm about to share with you. There's this one scene in the movie that I'd like you to recall. And this one scene, Nemo, Nemo's dad, what was his name, Marlin? Right? Nemo's dad, yeah, so sisters watch this a lot, yeah. So, Marlin is all depressed, he's sitting on the back of this turtle named Crush, and he's all sad, and these little tur mini turtles come and say what happened. And he says, I don't want to talk about it. And then they get him to tell his story, and they all listen very carefully, right? Now, the way that the movie is filmed, it's animated, Marlin is telling, the fish is telling his story to turtles. But they don't show him tell the entire story. You know what they do? They cut it out, and all of a sudden, those turtles are talking to some other fish. And then those fish are talking to some other fish. And those fish are talking to some birds. And those birds are talking to other birds. And they cut, 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 until the story gets to Nemo. But they didn't show it that the whole story was told from A to B, then B narrated the whole story to C, and C narrated the whole story to D. They didn't have to waste time in the repetition. They just transfused from one scene to the other. You know what I'm talking about? Right? Now this is a, this is a technique in modern film. Right? Where you go from one scene to the next, and you sort of... You're, the audience is expected to know what happened in between the lines. It's self-explanatory that everybody communicated the story further down the line. It's self-explanatory. This is a technique in modern film, but it's actually used a lot in the Qur'an. Transition. Iltifat. It's, used, it's a very dominant feature of the Qur'an. I only brought it to you from Finding Nemo because I hope you've seen Finding Nemo and you know what transition is then. But I want to share an example of uh, alluding to this dialogue. One of my favorite dialogues in the Qur'an when your Lord called on Musa, go to the wrongful nation. Go to the wrongful nation. The Lord called on Musa, go where? The wrongful nation. Specifically, the nation of who? Don't they have any taqwa? Don't they have any consciousness of no fear of Allah? Now Musa responds, he said, my Lord, there's, there's no doubt I'm afraid that they're gonna lie against me. A few lines down we will find he is afraid, he says, I'm afraid that they are going to kill me. But the first fear he tells Allah is what? I'm afraid they're gonna lie against me. What this tells us is something profound. Musa is not cared about life and death. He's not concerned about life and death. That's not what he cares about. What he cares about is this mission that Allah has given him. He does not want to disappoint this mission that Allah has handed him. And if they lie against him, he will not be able to fulfill his mission. So the first fear he expresses to Allah is that they are going to belie me. They're going to lie against me. They're going to disregard me. 
يكذبون, something pertaining directly to the task Allah gave him. And then the second problem, My chest becomes tight. Musa السلام, was known to have a temper. When people speak to him in obnoxious terms about Allah, like Fir'aun did, when somebody speaks to him clearly in the wrong, the first thing, some people are, are able to keep their calm and respond. Other people get really, really upset when they hear something outrageous, right? And there's some people in debate, their job is to say things outrageous, to make you so angry that you can't think straight. And then you trip on your words. Now it's not that you don't know what you're talking about, but you're just so mad that you can't talk clearly anymore. And he says he has that problem. He says, وَيَضِيقُ sadri, My chest becomes tight when I'm frustrated. What's implied here is this frustration. وَلَا يَنْطَلِقُ لِسَانِي And my, my tongue stops articulating. He's not just talking about his stutter. He's talking about something else too. When he gets extremely angry, he can't communicate his ideas clearly. And he's afraid if he does that, what's gonna fail? The mission. The task will suffer. So I fear this shortcoming of mine will come in the way of this task you have given me. Beautiful words. Give the responsibility of messengership to Harun also. Make him a messenger too. If I fail, the backup should be there. I'm not important, what's important? He's saying. The mission. So he says, send Harun with me. This is why, because I might fail. Then he goes, Allah Azza wa Jal, then he adds by the way, وَلَهُمْ and by the way, they have a, especially against me, they have a rap sheet. They have a crime against me, on file. What's the crime? You kill somebody. I'm afraid that they're gonna kill me. He asked for Harun السلام, to be hired first. Then he said, I might get killed, which explains why you need Harun in the first place. In case he gets killed, who will still be there to deliver the message? So he's explaining his rationale for putting Harun in place. Subhanallah. He's not afraid of being killed. He's afraid of the mission not being accomplished. Subhanallah. Alayhi salam. Allah said to him, No, no, no. Fadhaba, both of you go. The beginning of the dialogue is between Allah and Musa. And Allah says, Who goes? Both of you. What is already understood? He granted the dua. Both of you go. Fadhaba. Ayatina, go with our signs, our miraculous signs. Then he says, Inna ma'akum mustami'un. We are going to be listening to you. We are going to be in the listening audience among you. Allah says about himself. Now the thing is, Allah could have said, We're gonna be watching you. Right? He could have said, We're gonna be watching you. You can watch someone from a distance. But to listen to someone, where do you have to be? Allah is showing his ma'iyyah, his closeness. He wants, to, he wants Musa to feel that Allah is close to him, He's supporting him. So we're listening to him. Allah says we're going to be listening. Also Allah has given us another lesson here. Allah says we're going to be listening carefully to what? The dialogue that takes place between you and who? Fir'aun. So if Allah says He will be listening carefully, what should we be doing? Listen carefully. This dialogue has a lot to offer. That's why we should be listening carefully. فَأْتِيَا Fir'aun. Then now watch the transition. فَأْتِيَا Fir'aun. Both of you then go to Fir'aun. فَقُولَا Then both of you say, إِنَّا رَسُولُ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ We are both like one messenger of the Lord of the Worlds. We can't, we're inseparable. They didn't say we are messengers. They said we are messengers, singular. We can't, you can't separate us. إِنَّا رَسُولُ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ 
an arsil ma'ana bani Israel. The first thing they're supposed to say, we are the messenger of the Lord of the world. The second thing they're supposed to say, to say is deliver with us Bani Israel. Send Bani Israel with us, leave them from your captivity. You guys know the children of Israel were slaves, right? They were under captivity of Pharaoh. So two demands. First demand, we are messenger of the Lord of the world. The second demand, send with us Bani Israel. Now I want to show you the transition. Qala, Fir'aun said. Wait a second, in the previous ayah who was talking? Allah was talking to Musa salam and to Harun indirectly salam. In the very next ayah, who's responding? Fir'aun We have been shown a transition Allah told them to say this It's understood that they went and they said this It doesn't have to be repeated, it's redundant It's understood But by the way, I want you to picture this Musa salam already said he's, a, he's known as a criminal there They have a rap sheet against him He's known for a murder He's, 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 the, he's a, uh, you know, uh, uh, alleged to have murdered somebody. He's a wanted criminal. He's a fugitive. He ran away from that city. He has to go where now? Not sneak into his house. Not on the outskirts of the city. Where does he have to go? To, to the palace. Where there are the majority of the guards. The, I, the chances of getting killed would be highest when you go towards the police station. Right? He has to go towards them. He walks into the, 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 the castle of Fir'aun, stands in front of Fir'aun, Allah protects him thus far. Obviously he's a fugitive, the police are looking at him funny, everybody's laughing at them. He's standing next to Harun, who's from the Israelites, who's considered second class citizens. And Fir'aun is the king. He's on the throne. He's in authority. Obviously who's in a higher position right now as it seems? If you look at that scene, who's got the upper hand? Fir'aun's got the upper hand. He's got the upper hand. And now you walk into his court and you say, we are the messengers of the Lord of the worlds. Who claimed that he's the Lord? And you go to them and say, by the way, you're not the Lord. Uh, we're actually representing the Lord. <laughs> you walk to his palace and slap him on the face with that statement. Inna Rasulullah Rabbil Alameen. And then he's Lord, and especially he's Lord over the slave nation. What's the second thing you have to say? By the way, your lordship over the slave nation is done. Send them with us. Now imagine this scenario. This is very strange. Musa salam is in no position apparently to make these, these, these claims. But he does. Fir'aun, clever politician. Imagine him sitting arrogantly on his throne, his ministers all around him smirking as Musa salam is talking. What's he talking about? He says, Qala. Fir'aun says, Alam nurabbika fina walida. Didn't we raise you as a boy among us? Didn't I let you live among us as a boy? Wasn't this a favor? What's he saying to you, to him? You should be coming, begging me at my feet that I and thanking me that I haven't killed you yet. Here you are coming, talking to me like this. Have you forgotten that I raised you in our home as a child? You disloyal. See, he's insulting the character of Musa. Did he respond to any of the things Musa said, by the way? No, he's clever. He's clever. He's trying to test the psychological firmness of Musa salam. He's trying to throw him off his feet. Didn't we raise you as a boy among us? And you spent many years voluntarily with us. It's not like we held you. You spent them your labitha to stay voluntarily. You stayed with us for many years. Who are you to talk like this in between the lines? And you did that thing that you did. See the way he said it? You did that act of yours that you had done. 
What is that act? He didn't say you killed someone. He's trying to make him nervous. You want me to tell everyone what you did? You know that thing? He's intimidating Musa And you're from those who deny? You're from those who deny my favor? You're from those who deny that you, you murdered? Kafir is to deny. So now Fir'aun is trying to put himself in this more intimidating position and put Musa down. Musa responds, قَالَ فَعَلْتُهَا إِذَنْ I did that then. By the way, Fir'aun had said, I raised you as a boy, you stayed with us for many years, and you killed someone. Three things. Of these three things, what's the most important allegation against Musa? The, the third. So he responds to that one first because he's an intelligent man, he needs to get rid of the biggest hurdle first. I did that, I committed that act then. And I was from those who were misled. I was confused. I was conned into it. I did it, I admit it. He admits it. Gets that out of the way first. He's not a kafir of it anymore. He's not in denial of that anymore. Then he says, فَفَرَرْتُ مِنْكُمْ Beautiful. I ran away from you. لَمَّا خِفْتُكُمْ When I used to be scared of you. لَمَّا خِفْتُكُمْ When I used to be scared of you. What's he telling him? It's not working. I'm not scared of you. I had run away when I, when I was scared of you and I have come back as a sign. It's already an indication that what? I'm not scared of you. And my real Lord, my Lord, He granted me wisdom and firmness. And He made me from those who have been sent. Meaning I haven't come back to visit, I have been sent on a mission. The first thing He said was He's a messenger. Now He's coming back to the same subject because He's not letting Himself be distracted by the side arguments. He comes back to the main point. I have been sent. <laughs> comes back to the same thing He started with. Fir'aun was trying to change the subject. The politician that he is, he doesn't want to answer the question, he wants to change the subject. Start a new controversy. Sound familiar? Right? And so this, Musa doesn't get dissuaded. He stays on point. I have been sent from, uh, I have been from those who have been sent. He's made me from those who have been sent. وَتِلْكَ نِعْمَةٌ تَمُنُّهَا عَلَيَّ And by the way, that favor you speak of, what favor? You raised me. You did favor that upon me, I, I, I agree. And He poses a question. So you did that favor to me and as a result you have a right to enslave Bani Israel. Is that what you're trying to say? He tries to question the rationale of Fir'aun. Remember the second demand of Musa? What was it? To deliver Bani Israel. He says to him, by the way, you're saying that you raised me as a boy. Thanks, by the way, you did do that favor. What does that have to do with enslaving Bani Israel? What are you talking about? You see, Musa didn't move from the point. <laughs> and he showed the lack of rationale in Fir'aun's line of thinking. Which is already an insult to the intellect of Fir'aun in front of the entire audience. Who is the audience? The high caliber ministers of Fir'aun. They're the ones in the palace, right? The loyalists. And in front of all of them, oh, you know, <laughs> that's what happens to Fir'aun. <laughs> now look, Qala Fir'aun. Fir'aun is now stumped. He doesn't have any choice but to address the subject at hand. So what does he say? Wama Rabbul Alameen. What Lord of the Worlds are you talking about? He didn't even say Waman Rabbul Alameen. Who's the Lord of the Worlds? He didn't say who. He said what? You know, when you say what, you're saying it doesn't even exist. When you say who, then you're trying to figure out who it is. Or when you say what, you're trying to say 
It's just a fathom of your it's just a figure of your imagination. What what are you talking about? What Lord of the Worlds? And he thought by insulting Musa like that, what Lord of the Worlds? <laughs> like that. What's he gonna say now? Musa takes that opportunity and stabs him right where it hurts. Look, Qala, Musa said, Rabbu Samawati wal Ard, the Lord of the heavens and the earth. By the way, the pharaohs used to worship the sun. Which is where? In the sky? He's the, he's, the, he's the Lord and he claims that the sun is the Lord. That's what they claimed. So he, Musa tells him, by the way, he's not just your Lord, by the way. He's Lord of what? The heavens? And you're the king on the earth? He's the Lord of the earth too. Rabbu Samawati wal Ard. Wa ma baynahuma and everything in between. Subhanallah. Rabbu Samawati wal Ard wa ma baynahuma in kuntum muqineen. He didn't say in kunta muqinan. He didn't say if you are seeking conviction. You know what he did? He said, you're useless. I don't even want to talk to you. I've already beat you. I'm going to talk to the rest of your crew here. So he says, the Lord of the heavens and the earth and everything in between, if all of you are seeking to be convinced. He turned away from Musa, from, from Fir'aun. He turned to them. Kuntum is plural. He turned to them. Again, another slap on Fir'aun's face, because now Musa is like, I don't have to talk to you. You're worth it. You're not worth it. In kuntum muqinin. Now look. Fir'aun now listens, all of these people around him are being stunned by, by Musa Fir'aun's getting nervous. So what does he say? He says to those who were around him, Are you not listening carefully enough to what he's saying? Do you realize what he's saying? Meaning he's saying, listening to him is an insult to me. You are being disloyal to the kingship. Do you realize that? So he's trying to alert his people to stay under his rank by scaring them first. The first tactic was fear. Musa says, well, he's getting nervous. Might as well take an advantage of this opportunity some more. Not just your Lord, all of you, but your, the Lord of your ancient forefathers who you believe were gods too. He's their Lord too. He's not talking to Fir'aun right now, he's talking to the audience. Rabbukum wa Rabbu First he was the Lord of the heavens and the earth and everything in between. Now he brings it home, even your Lord. Not just the skies and the earth, your Lord too. And the Lord of your forefathers. Now they're really like, they can't stop but listen to Musa salam. They're stunned by him. So what does Fir'aun do? Now he's getting desperate. By the way, when I started this dialogue, Fir'aun was up here and Musa was down here. Have you noticed the shift? Fir'aun is getting nervous. The people are listening to Musa there's a, there's a shift in the balance of dialogue power. This dialogue is changing momentum. And now look, Fir'aun gets frustrated. He says, قَالَ إِنَّ رَسُولَكُمْ الَّذِي أُرْسِلَ إِلَيْكُمْ لَمَجْنُونَ He said, this messenger of yours, by the way, he didn't say the messenger, he said this messenger of yours. Meaning, it illustrates that the people were actually listening carefully, so much so that Fir'aun had to say, your messenger. <laughs> he didn't just say this man, he said, Rasulakum, your messenger. You're listening to him like he's your messenger. By the way, this messenger that has been sent to you, Ursila ilaykum, was he sent to them or to Fir'aun first? He was sent to Fir'aun. But Fir'aun doesn't want to accept that. So he directs it, he was sent to you guys. Lamajnoon, he's insane. He's crazy. Now watch this carefully. The first attack on the personality of Musa was loyalty. We raised you as a boy. 
The second attack was the crime, right? His track record. The third attack is his sanity. He's insane. La majnoon. Now watch. Qala Rabbul Mashriqi wal Maghribi wa ma baynahuma in kuntum taqilun. Musa doesn't stop. He doesn't have to respond. No, no, I'm not crazy. He says, I'm going to stay on point and let him play, let him stumble, let him trip over himself. Musa says, The Lord of the East and the West. And then he says, Whatever's in between the East and the West. If all of you are really thinking about it, if you are seeking to apply your intellects, then what I'm telling you is very convincing. Now he is upset because the people have shifted their attention from Fir'aun to who? Musa. And this is his cabinet. This is his administration. So he is so upset, he says, Qala. He says to Musa, If you dare take anyone worthy of worship except me, there is no doubt about it, I will make you from those who have been imprisoned. Meaning, people have already been imprisoned for showing disloyalty, and I will consider this an act of treason, and I will put you in prison. When do you threaten someone? When you can't beat them in argument, then you try to overpower them with your muscle. So the fact that he threatened Musa salam with prison was in and of itself a proof that he has lost the debate. That was already a proof that he's lost. Because if he hadn't lost, he would have more arguments. This is not an argument, this is just a threat. No answer. He's got no answer, he's been stumped already. Now Musa salam responds, قَالَ أَوَلَوْ جِئْتُكَ بِشَيْءٍ مُبِينٍ Okay, I'll be in prison even if I bring you in. Clear proof from what I'm talking about? Let's stay on the ideas instead of turning to your threats. You want to deal with this matter? Let's get it over with. Maybe I don't have anything to show you. Even if I bring you something clear, a clarifying evidence. Now Firaun is, you know, everybody's like, what's he going to do? Musa challenged him. He's going to back down from the challenge? Then obviously who won? Musa, and everybody will be talking afterwards. Oh my God, Firaun really got it today. You know? I can't let that happen, Pharaoh says. I gotta take him on. I don't have a choice. He's been backed into a corner. So he says, fine. <laughs> Go ahead, bring it if you're from the truthful. He's nervous now. And now Musa brings what? His asa, his staff. It turns into a snake. He takes his hand out and it's white. And as he's watching that, now you're thinking of what can I do? What can I do to make people not look at that? The words were amazing enough and now they see this. What's the best way to stop this from going on? What did he say? He says, But before it was liman hawlahu, by the way. He spoke to whoever was around him. Now it says he spoke to the chiefs around him. Because what must he have noticed? The chiefs were impressed. And if the chiefs are impressed, they can be a coup. You know that, right? When the generals are turning, then there can be a change. So you gotta keep your generals close. So he says, وَقَالَ لِلْمَلَأِ حَوْلَهُ إِنَّ هَذَا لَسَاحِرٌ عَلِيمٌ This is a knowledgeable magician. How can he be crazy and a knowledgeable magician at the same time? Either you're a PhD in physics or you are in the psych ward. You can't be both. In the same dialogue, he started first by saying what? He's crazy. Then he turned, that didn't work. Let's come up with something new. And what's the new one? He's a very good magician. Subhanallah. He actually disproved his own self. The people around him are very smart. They know that he's already changed the story a few times. 
which means he's desperate to find something to defeat what he sees that cannot be defeated. It can't be defeated, so he's desperate to come up with new stuff. Yuridu an yukhrijakum, and this is where we'll end, inshallah. Yuridu an yukhrijakum min ardikum bisihrih. He intends to get you out of your land by means of his magic. He is a threat to national security. If you listen to him, you will all be deported. What did he just use? First, he tried to intimidate Musa. First, he tried to insult him, then to intimidate him, then to accuse him, then to character assassinate him by calling him insane. Then, when none of that worked, I can't scare him anymore. Well, who should I scare now? The people. If I can't scare him, let me scare them into believing that if they follow him, what's going to happen? They'll all be kicked out of their land. Did he say anything about leaving the land? Or kicking people out of their land? He wants to leave the land with who? With Bani Israel. He said no such thing. But you know, as a political leader, the smart thing is to rally people on your cause, whether it's right or not. The best glue that will bring people together is fear against an enemy. That's the best glue. So if Fir'aun realizes that's the only thing I got left, so the only attack this time is actually not an attack on Musa directly السلام, but it's actually a means to unify his people, to bring them rally the troops again. He wants to get you out of your land by his magic. And by the way, who commands in, 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 in Egypt? Who had the command? Fir'aun. Look at this ayah. What do you guys say? Whose, whose opinion did he ask? The people's. Because he saw that the people are not listening to him. So he wanted to make the people feel included in the process. So he could keep them loyal. They were, he was losing the loyalty. Because normally what would Fir'aun say? Who has commanded? Whose opinion is this? Mine, my way or no way. But now he's forced to say, What do you guys think? He's been humbled. He's been overpowered just by the words that were given to Musa Just by that. Dialogue is one of the most powerful means of communicating messages in the Qur'an. It's not just this one said this, this one said that. Every piece of the dialogue, as I tried to illustrate to you, has powerful you know, implications that are very difficult to communicate in paragraphs. I have to stop at every line and give you six, seven, eight lines, two, three minutes. But the way it's captured so eloquently woven together, it's incredible. It really is. So, the, the point that I want to drive home inshallah and I'm done bi'ithnillah, jazakumullahu khairan for your attention is as follows. The Qur'an is remarkable, stunning, mesmerizing literature. You have never read anything in your life that will come close to having the impact, not just from the religious point of view, but even from the psychological point of view. You will not be affected by anything that you will ever listen to or read like you will be by the Qur'an. The tragedy of our times is that we have reduced the Qur'an to translation and reduce the Qur'an to certain isolated quotations by virtue of which we actually don't get to see the power in which it is communicating its message. And this is a big problem. By the way, the scholars of the Arabs don't have this problem. They see it. They see the beauty. This is a problem mostly for the majority of the people of this ummah who are suffering from iman deficit to begin with. And if they saw this miracle and they saw that mesmerizing power of the Qur'an, at least heard about it on a regular basis, we would necessarily see a change in attitudes. A change in the regard, the awe, the inspiration we take from this Qur'an. It would be a different relationship. The dynamics of that relationship would change. At the very end of my talk, I wanted to make an announcement. 
this, I was motivated to do this program for a few reasons. First of all, I'm very honored by the invitation. It really is an honor to be here, alhamdulillah. I've been working about two and a half years now on putting together a weekend seminar. Just a single weekend seminar on, you know, these few examples I shared with you, Shu'aib and you know, word precision and dialogue and oaths in the Quran, right? These are three of about 22 categories of Quranic literature, literary analysis that I've been working on compiling from various scholarly resources. And I've designed them to present them inshallah ta'ala through bayina in a way that is easy to understand for folks that have never studied Arabic before. I don't want this, the prerequisite for this to be Arabic studies. Of course, if you've studied Arabic, you'll appreciate it. But even if you haven't, my intention is to give this sort of, uh, you know, a, a popular uh, exposure, a mass exposure to this dimension of the beauty of the Quran, inshallah ta'ala. And my sole motivation for that is I want to inspire an entire generation of people spanning ages and genders and races and ethnicities that we all get into the realm of Islamic studies, of Arabic studies, and more particularly Quran studies more and more seriously, and that we have more meaningful experience when we pray. Because our prayer, the longest part of it is what? It's Quran. And if we can appreciate the power of the Quran in our prayers, Wallahi, we'd be different people. We'd be a different kind of people. So I pray that inshallah ta'ala you're able to join uh, this venture whenever it comes to your town. Bidnillah, I think it should be in New York pretty soon, but it's going to be traveling all over the country and I'm hopeful that you'll, you'll attend with yourselves and your families inshallah ta'ala. Uh, and you can check our website, right? You know what's the website? Bayyina.com B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H.com Remember the promise of Allah, it's the challenge. وَلَقَدْ يَسَّرْنَا الْقُرْآنَ لِلذِّكْرِ We made Qur'an easy for dhikr. Dhikr means to remember, Allah also means to, re to memorize. Allah challenged that Allah made Qur'an easy to memorize. فَهَلْ مِنْ مُدَّكِرِ Is there anyone who will come forward and take the challenge? Put the effort in. So put the effort in. Respond to Allah's challenge. He's opened that challenge to all of us. May Allah make the memorization of Qur'an easy upon all of us. May Allah Azza wa Jal give us all a real appreciation of the beauty and the marvel and just the, the, the priceless gem that, the, that every ayah of the Qur'an is. May Allah Azza wa Jal put a love of the Qur'an and a love of the Sunnah of the Messenger وسلم, in all of our hearts. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.